What a great time of year here on Brit David Podcast as we celebrate the Christmas season and the sending of a Savior. Pastor Tim shares a timely message from Isaiah chapter 19, verses 19 through 21, entitled, Can a Muslim Be Saved? When God promises to send a Savior, the Messiah, He is not the exclusive deliverer for the nation of Israel. Yes, God sent Him to Israel. But it is also important to know that God sent him through Israel. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And just because someone doesn't acknowledge him as such right now, doesn't mean that God can't draw that same person to himself later. We may think that Muslims will never be saved, but can they be? Here's Pastor Tim. I want to begin with a question for you today. Maybe it's not a question that you would expect, especially as we're working our way during this Christmas season through the book of Isaiah, looking at prophecies about the coming of Messiah, the fact that God would send a Messiah. But whether it seems like the question fits initially or not, I promise you that it does. And so let me just simply ask you, can a Muslim be saved? I mean, it seems like a simple enough question, a a question that any pastor, any Christian really ought to be able to answer. However, it wasn't too long ago that one of the pastors of one of the largest churches in the United States uh, sat on Larry King's show and was asked a very similar question. They were talking about what it takes for a person to go to heaven. And of all things, this pastor gave an answer that was a combination of faith and good works. Which, by the way, is the wrong answer. (laughs) That's not at all what it takes. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not a combination ever of faith and good works. It's faith that comes by the grace of God. Of God, in that particular interview, the question as as it became known that that uh, that that's what he's talking about. How do people go to heaven? Larry King asked, "But what if you're Jewish or Muslim? What if you don't accept Christ at all?" The pastor said, "You know, I'm very careful about saying who would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. Saying I don't know." So Larry King pushed a little further. Larry King doesn't ask hard questions usually. But he asked this one. He says, if you believe that you have to believe in Christ, then they're wrong, aren't they? You see where this is going, right? The answer is, the answer that was given is, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. Let me tell you something. This is not a question that you can be in error about. It's not a question that you have the liberty to get wrong. Because if you get this question wrong and you miss it on this particular people group, then you begin to miss it on lots of different people groups. And suddenly you don't know whether you're talking about a gospel for a regular person or a gospel for a special class of person. And the reality is is that there is but one gospel and every person, no matter who they are, needs the same gospel and must be saved in the very same way. So the question is, and and, and in all fairness, our question is a little bit different than the question that was given. The answer that, that, or the question that Larry King asked really is, 
are Muslims saved? We're asking the question, can a Muslim be saved? Now, again, that may seem like an odd question, but if you're in Isaiah chapter 19, and I hope that you'll go ahead and take time to turn there with me, as Isaiah has so many prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah, sometimes the messages overlap. There are times when Isaiah is talking specifically and immediately about the first coming of Messiah, what we, what we celebrate at Christmas time. Then there are other times, because of his first coming, it has definite implications on his second coming. And that's really where we are in this passage today. We're talking about a group of people, a people group, the largest growing religious people group in all of the world. We're talking about them today. We're not just talking about Muslims in Moses' day. We're not just talking about Muslims in Isaiah's day. We're talking specifically, as you'll see this passage, about them today. The context of this particular passage centers on the nation of Egypt. Today, there are 105 million people who live in Egypt, and 90% of them are Muslim or Islamic. In fact, the constitution of Egypt reads this way. It says, Islam is the religion of the state, and the principles of Islamic Sharia are the main sources of legislation. It's a state that has said, we do not worship the God of the Bible. We worship Allah. We, we worship the God of the Quran. We worship a very different God, and you need to understand that. Allah of the Quran is not the same as the God of the Bible. They're not even close in their characteristics that are given. What you find in Egypt today are a few evangelical Christians. Less than 1% of their population fit into that category. And those that do fit there are persecuted. Even though there is freedom of religion that is announced for three specific groups. For Muslims, for Jews, and for Christians. Tell me... <laughs> How much freedom does the Christian and the Jew really have in an almost totally Islamic state? Not much, is it? In fact, it is that context in which we read our passage today. The passage that I want you to see is a passage that is yet to be fulfilled. A passage that comes not just because of the first coming of Christ, but a passage that is fulfilled after the second coming of Christ. It's because of that that we begin to think about the Egypt of our day and the region of the Middle East in our day. Look, if you will, beginning in verse number 19. Isaiah 19, 19. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, look at this, for they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, and He will send them a Savior and a Mighty One, and He will deliver them. 
then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and will make sacrifice and offerings. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. What we've just read is the third of five results that will take place in the land of Egypt in the second coming of Messiah. It's five, there are five of them that are listed in this particular passage, beginning all the way back up in verse number 16. And each one of those paragraphs, or each one of those items, are listed or are preempted by the phrase, in that day. In that day. You'll see it in verse number 16, in that day. Verse number 18, in that day. Verse number 19 that we read, in that day. Verse number 23, in that day. Verse number 24, in that day. In that day, what day? The day when Messiah rules and reigns as Lord and as Master, as Savior of the whole world, as He begins to sit on His own throne. And it's not a Pharaoh, it's not a president, it's not a prime minister, it's not anybody else who is in charge, it is Jesus who is in charge of the world that in which we live. And the people of Egypt, those that we know today as an Islamic state will bow the knee to the Lord. They'll come to know Him. They'll know Him in a way that will allow peace to reign in our rule forever and forever and forever. Listen, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, they said, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. I understand that their announcement is more spiritual than it is political. But spiritual peace brings about political peace. Spiritual peace brings about personal peace. When peace rules in a heart because God is there, then peace can rule between people who share the love of Christ. As long as I've been alive, every president that I have ever known has tried to make an impact in the Middle East. They wanted to solve the Mideast crisis they try to get the, the, the principal players out of Israel, the principal players out of Egypt, the principal players out of some of these other nations that surround the nation of Israel. They try to gather them together in one room and try to sit down and hammer out what's going to be some peace accords. Let me tell you this, until Jesus is Lord, there's not going to be any peace in the Middle East. You know what we're reading about, though, in Isaiah chapter 19? It's peace in the Middle East. If you're reading through Psalms with the rest of your church family, and you recognize just a few days ago, the Bible instructs you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And this is how it takes place. I want you to examine this passage with me a little bit closer today. In answer of the question, can a Muslim be saved? I want to tell you yes. In fact, I want to use this passage today as proof to you that yes, they can indeed be saved. So if that's true, then number one, I want you to see that when a Muslim is saved, there will be a personal transformation. There will be a personal transformation. Look, if you will, again down to verse number 21. The Bible says the Lord will be known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord. Now you know as well as I do that there's a big difference between knowing about Him 
and knowing Him. Even today, like a lot of people, like lots of places around the world, there are a number of people who know about Jesus without really truly knowing Jesus. But what we find in this passage is a group of people who now know the Lord. They know Him personally. They know Him experientially. They know Him as Savior and as Lord. It may surprise you to discover that Muslims today believe a number of things that are true about Jesus. They believe that He was real. They believe that He was virgin born. They believe that He lived a sinless life. They believe that He performed miracles. They believe that He is coming again one of these days and that He gathered disciples together and was rejected by the Jews. They believe those things. They don't believe some of the elements that are primarily true. They do not believe that He is the Son of God. Thus, they do not believe that He is God the Son. They do not believe that He died on a cross. They do not believe that He was resurrected from the dead. They do not believe that He is the Savior of the world, and they do not believe that they need Him. And yet all of those things are desperately, desperately true. They don't see Him as a Savior, they see Him as a prophet. A prophet, yes, a great prophet, yes. But not quite as great as the prophet Muhammad. They would yield to Him and say that Jesus simply was a servant of Allah. In order to be saved... Let me be clear, let me be clearer than somebody might be on television. Those views have to change. They have to. You can't hold both sets of views. You can't hold a view that He is God and a view that He is not God. You can't hold a view that He may be one way for a group of people to salvation and not the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Those beliefs have to change. And that's what you see at the second half of verse number 20. Look back up that half a verse. Look at what the Bible says. They will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors. We're not told in this passage who those oppressors are, but what's important is the response that they have. Look at what it says. They will cry to the Lord. Now listen, is, is your Bible like my Bible? My Bible has the word LORD in all capital letters. Is yours like that? I'm going to tell you why your Bible does that. Not just to emphasize who He is, but to add some special attention to that particular word for LORD. It is His covenant name. It is the name Yahweh. Sometimes people will say Jehovah. I just don't say Jehovah because I don't want to be confused with another cult. <laughs> so it's the name Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. It's the one that, that Moses was told when he said, Who am I going to tell the Egyptians? <laughs> of all people. Who am I going to tell the Egyptians has sent me? He said, You tell them I am has sent me. He said, Say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Yahweh is the most unique name in all of the Bible. It refers to the one true living God in His person of who He is. Later on in this very same book of Isaiah, Isaiah is going to report the Lord saying, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. That is my name. A Muslim is going to have to forsake the name of Allah in favor of the name 
of Yahweh. He's going to have to forsake the name of Muhammad, the prophet, in sake of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Mighty One, the Holy One. Here in verse number 20, in the midst of their desperation, they do not cry out to Allah. They do not cry out for Muhammad to save them. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that they will cry to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the one true living God. It is a statement of faith. It is a statement that they have indeed turned away from Allah and turned instead to the one true living God. And notice what the Bible says that God does for them. He will send them a Savior and a mighty one. And by the way, that's not two different people. <laughs> it's not that he's going to send them a, a Savior and a mighty one. It's not like when you go to the cemetery and the, and, the, and the tombstone says, here lies a lawyer and a good man, and you say, oh, look, they buried two people in there. No, no, this is a Savior. He is a mighty one, and you know it because he says, and he will deliver them. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.